One Sunday school morning when I was a teenager, our youth pastor somberly let us know it was not going to be a typical Sunday. He had an announcement to make. He said two teens in the youth group, our friends, were pregnant, one 17 and the other 19. They sat beside him, their eyes cast down, and over the next 30 minutes, the three of them talked about the situation and reinforced the importance of one thing, abstinence before marriage. You see, sex was a boogeyman in my church, something that could rob you of belonging, ostracize you, and shame you. And if the church was one end of the spectrum of sexual propriety, the other end was Planned Parenthood. They were murderers, atheists, the enemy. In fact, the first time I stepped into a Planned Parenthood facility was when I recorded this interview you're about to hear in July of last year. Now, even though I'm 37 and married, I still felt some of those old hang-ups when I sat down to talk about the vilified organization with Sherry Bonner. She's the president of Planned Parenthood in Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley. I'm Graham High, and this is Straight White Guy Listening. Uh, my name is Sherry Bonner, and I'm the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley. And I've been doing this work here for 15 years. And prior to that, I worked for 15 years at a Planned Parenthood affiliate in San Diego. Uh, so how did you start in Planned Parenthood? What brought you to this yeah. organization? You know, that's so interesting because as we talk about storytelling being really important for people to understand you know, this mission or why people are engaged or why it's important. Um, when I think about it and talk to groups, I feel like I have many stories for how I ended up here. Um, but the logistical story is that I was a human resources professional and I had always been interested in Planned Parenthood and saw the ad in the newspaper. I believe it was a newspaper at that time and um, applied and was hired. So that's sort of the logistical uh, way that I ended up in, in that seat. Um, but the reason why I decided to apply and work for Planned Parenthood, um, I think really goes back to my mom. And she felt like women having their own bodily autonomy was really critical to women having their own lives and a good quality of life. And uh, my mom was very influential. And so I had actually done some um, clinic escort work, and that's making sure that women can get into a health center safely. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a time here in uh, California when Operation Rescue was big and they were sort of chaining themselves across driveways and keeping women from being able to get into health centers. And I thought I would um, be helpful. And so I, that's how I sort of got interested. Um, I've used Planned Parenthood services. Um, I've had an abortion at Planned Parenthood. So I was very familiar with um, 
why Planned Parenthood is, is important and how I could be in a place where I wasn't judged. I guess I would say having a sort of a professional background with skills in human resources and organizational development and marrying that with what was my passion, women's rights really, um, that's how I ended up at Planned Parenthood. Throughout the time you've been with Planned Parenthood, how have you seen things change? Uh, and some aspects, have they gotten better? Or some aspects, are they getting worse? Uh, because you have the yeah. scope of what you've yeah, been doing. Yeah, the 30 years and yeah. then volunteering before that. I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I would say that what's happening right now is the scariest it's ever been in terms of Roe v. Wade and um, women continuing to have access to reproductive health care. Um, having said that, it's been a very slippery slope um, going back for probably about 15 years where access is being chipped away for in a variety of ways, whether it's the kinds of um, restrictions that are put in health centers so that um, makes it difficult to build a health center with the regulations, to the requirement that doctors have admitting privileges in hospitals, um, all kinds of ways that the people who are anti-choice have been able to chip away at access um, I think you probably know that there have been waiting periods for a woman who comes into a health center or a person who's pregnant comes into a health center and has made the decision to have an abortion and then has to wait. Um, right. We're seeing you know, 72 hours now in terms of waiting. So uh, we've seen women being required to look at ultrasounds with a script that a doctor is required to say word for word. Um, all kinds of all kinds of barriers between a woman or a person who's pregnant and their care that um, are you know all part of sort of this broader strategy to keep women from accessing abortion services and and really reproductive health care. I mean, it's that broad now. So your question was, how have I seen it change? I certainly have seen um, more restrictions, more barriers. Um, we've seen a coordinated attack uh, across the country. Um, these are, you know, whenever, when there's a a restriction that's put into place or a law that's passed, there are copycat laws and restrictions in other states. Um, so we know that it's a coordinated attack and, you know, intentional to be uh, taking, stripping women of their reproductive health care and their reproductive rights. They're, it's just, it's pretty evident now. Um, I remember back in the day that it was all about abortion, and and I remember we would talk about they would never take away women's access to birth control. I mean, 99% of women use birth control. They would never do that. That would be silly. Right. 
that's what they're doing now. So um, that's a big change. What, what do you do here at Planned Parenthood? Like what is a day in, day out, and all the needs that you meet? Because a lot of guys like myself, we haven't had to come to a Planned Parenthood clinic, whether or not we've been involved uh, yeah. with a woman who has. Well, you has. should, um, because we do an awful lot of STD, or as we call it, STI testing. Mm -hmm. um, so we see a lot of men uh, who come in for that. Um, I think 14% of our patient population are men. Right. Um, so, you know, when you think in terms of what Planned Parenthood's role is in the provision of healthcare or public health, um, certainly, you know, visits for a well woman or well person exam, that's a big part of what we do and who we are. We do pap smears, and then we do follow-ups for pap smears, where we have sophisticated sort of diagnostic um, equipment that uh, if we determine that there's something abnormal in a pap smear, which happens, you know, not infrequently, uh, we are able to look at it more closely, determine what it is, and we can even do some treatment. Um, so we do that here at Planned Parenthood. So that's cancer screenings, and that's um, a vital part of who we are and what we do. And to that end, we also do testicular exams for men. Mm. Uh, we do breast exams, <clears throat> and we also have a mammography um, clinic that we do once a month. And it's for um, you know most of the patients that we see, the people come in are people who are um, you know have low income and can't afford to pay. And so it's one of the things you might skip if you don't have a lot of money is getting a mammography. Well, we do that for women and um, as a baseline. And so they've had their first mammogram here at Planned Parenthood. Uh, really critical uh, cancer screening work that we do. Um, we do every type of birth control including long-acting reversible birth control, which is something like an IUD or an implant in the arm. And these can last up to 10 years. So a way that, um, that a person can not have to think about taking a pill every day. Uh, and different birth control methods work better for different people. Right. And, since Planned Parenthood is all about choice, you know, we want to make sure that people have the one that fits them. So whereas other, you know, physicians office may not be able to stock every kind of birth control, you better believe we do. Um, we also uh, have recently started to expand our work around um, HIV prevention. And we've always done testing for HIV along with the other STDs. Uh, but now what we're doing is providing a preventive course of treatment for people. Um, there's something called PrEP, which is an acronym for um, pre-exposure um, prophylaxis. And that's 
something that someone can take every day, a pill they take every day, just like you might take a birth control pill. Mm -hmm. But this can prevent you from getting the HIV virus. Did you know that that's I, out there? I had no idea. Yeah, It's more than 90% effective. Wow. So for people who, whatever their life circumstance is, um, and they're concerned that they could contract the virus, um, they can take this PrEP uh, pill every day. We also have something called PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. And this is for um, someone who has unprotected sex or in the case of sexual assault. You know, we've been trying to get into emergency rooms and sexual assault response team, part of their um, you know, vernacular is to ensure that women can have the morning after pill or emergency contraception, as we call it, or plan B. Mm -hmm. um, that's available in the emergency room after an exam. And now um, they can come here and we can give them the PEP for not getting the HIV virus. Right. So, wow. I mean, these are life-changing kinds of, you know, treatment and services that we offer to people who come in to, to us at Planned Parenthood. Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's a lot that you're providing to a community. And that's not all. And that's not all. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, more. Well, I, I guess one of my, before we go down the entire road of all the services you do, it's obvious that there's this need that you're seeing that you're trying to fill or you are filling yeah. that isn't being met elsewhere. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I guess you said you have some uh, lower income people that come here. You uh, have basically people that are sexually active coming to you, uh, people that aren't able to f fulfill their medical health needs elsewhere coming to you. So I guess my question is, what is Planned Parenthood's role in the community? Mm -hmm. uh, you provide these services, but what mm -hmm. is, how do you interact with the world around you? Well, so I think we've been talking a little bit about what we do in the health centers. And we have two other parts of our mission that, um, that bring people into the health centers. One is our education program. So we have community education that we do in schools, community groups, with parents, with teachers. Um, we also have a, a peer advocate program here that is for young people in high school. And we, they not only get an education in you know, sex ed, um, but they also then are, learn how to become organizers, mm. um, how to be leaders in their communities around topics that, um, where they can make a difference. Like um, I think the most recent one, one of the ones I remember they did was uh, at the Pasadena Unified School District to ensure that on the website there that if someone felt like they may be being sexually harassed in their school, um, that they had a, knew how to report it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that involved our young people going in front of the school board and speaking to the school board. So they learn how wow. to um, present and um, make a case. Uh, 
they've done organizing as well. They've done rallies. There's many things that they have learned, and we are so excited because this is the, you know, this is the next generation, right. and they're yeah. different. They're engaged. Um, they don't know the same kinds of, you know, racial disparities and conflicts. Um, you know, people who are gender nonconforming or bisexual or, you know, gay. Mm -hmm. And um, those are people they go to school with every day. Right. So um, they're, they're just, a, we're, we're so excited. It's a very large swath of people, these you know, people who are sort of late teens, um, mid to late teens, almost as big as the baby boomers in terms of population. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we want to engage them more and then they engage their peers more. And we think this is um, part of the answer and solution to what's been happening lately, which is, I think hate has sort of um, filled the headlines. And um, these young people, that's not what they're about. You, you had mentioned that 70% of the country is in support of Roe 71. Mm -hmm. 71, which is obviously uh, beyond a majority. But Hard to find those numbers in anything that Americans agree on. Exactly. Yeah. Especially nowadays. So what, I, what I'm thinking about lately is uh, these moderate people, the people in the middle that may not necessarily feel comfortable with the idea of abortion mm -hmm. or uh, but support Roe v. Wade. They would rather it be an option than not. What we find is that people who are um, kind of kind of what you're saying, they, they, they don't want to see Roe be overturned, but they're not sure. Maybe they feel like in this situation, a woman shouldn't have an abortion. In that situation, a woman can have an abortion. Um, then it just sort of goes to, then it needs to rest with the woman because, you know, and her partner and her doctor because she's the one who's living that life. And, you know, you can name lots of different reasons why, why people might have an abortion. Um, but for the majority of women who have one, um, they're going on with their lives. You hear about women who regret having abortions. It's a very small percentage. It's real, but it's a very, very small percentage of, um, of women who do that because when they come in for an abortion, they've you know pretty well made up their mind. They know their minds. They know their situation. They know if they're healthy, if their partner's healthy, if they're, they're taking care of elderly parents, you, you name it. We don't walk in their shoes, but... They already know that. Um, when they're in a health center, they're asked you know, multiple times. Not that we question their decision, but you know it's irreversible. So we want to ensure that at every step of the way that they're, it's their own decision. It's, uh, it's starting to become apparent <clears throat> to me how organized uh, the anti-choice uh, pro-life movement is, and of course with these Supreme Court justices that just came uh, in Trump's term. My question with that in mind is, what is Planned Parenthood? 
in that position. Obviously, you're on the front lines. Right. So what are you guys doing to combat these laws, and how can people advocate with you? Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, the first thing we're doing is filing lawsuits, and we file, you know, injunctions sort of right away so that they don't go into effect. And then, you know, certainly a strategy of delaying the bad things is, that's our middle name. Um, so I think that's that's certainly a big part of what we do. But uh, we also rally people, you know, when we do that in many different ways on social media, on in the media, on television, um, rallies that we hold. Uh, we try to ensure that people are informed and that they are engaged and that they know what's at stake. Um, we were kind of worried that this day would come. Um, and now we're, we have to ready for it. We have to be there so that we have um, a network where women can, you know, call a number and figure out where is the nearest place for them to get services. Um, one of the things that's newer is uh, something that's called medication abortion. And while you probably know about going into a health center and having an abortion, um, there's also medication that a woman or someone who can get pregnant can take. And it's a series of two pills. And um, that's something that, you know, we, some of affiliates are starting to do um, in a telehealth fashion where they can see the doctor through Skype and have the pill dispensed in the woman's, right now it's rural areas, which people have a hard time accessing healthcare in rural areas. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're, you know, trying to work on that strategy. And um, in fact, most women now are choosing to have a medication abortion. Um, they can, you know, take a pill here with us and then go home and be with their loved ones. And um, uh, a lot of women are preferring that now to having an abortion in a, you know, in a, in a clinical setting. Um, both are you know, just extraordinarily safe. You know, obviously being pregnant is uh, much less safe than having an abortion, which is something that you don't hear a lot about when people are talking about being anti-abortion or making sure women don't have abortion. Abortions, um, you know, it, it's, it's also um, not the safest thing to, to be pregnant and certainly to birth a child. Um, that conversation is not happening. We're not hearing those people who care about women and the safety of women and abortion talking about the safety of women in pregnancy. You know, it's hard to fight against religion. How do religious people handle mm -hmm. you know, something that, like abortion, that something is metaphysical yeah. in a way? How do you, how do you hang with that? I mean, most people who have abortions have some kind of faith. That's just when you look at the statistics in terms of how many people in the country have some kind of religious beliefs or 
you know, whatever their practices might be, they're going to be the people coming into the health center. So, um, so we have people who, you know, are getting right with their God and making that decision. And um, I think for many people, it's a matter of they believe that God wants what's best for them in their life. And then they know what's best for them. So they, they feel that support or they pray or we have a lot of people who pray while they're in our health centers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's part, it's part of it. Um, I think it's important to know that Planned Parenthood was started by clergy. Clergy who wanted to, they saw women in these impossible situations, whether they had way too many children or were sick or you name it. And um, they wanted to help women access abortion services. Um, and so there was a network of clergy that started, really started that in this country for, you know, move towards safe legal abortion. Um, but, you know, clergy live in the real world. And if they're listening and paying attention, they're, they're connecting with their congregants and seeing what's happening in their lives. And um, sometimes an abortion is the best decision for a woman to make. You know, it's, I think that's uh, the real world, as you say. I think that's kind of what I'm hearing with all the services you provide. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way. Uh, because when I was growing up in the church, you don't want to talk about people, even just having straight sex outside <laughs> uh -huh. of marriage, uh -huh. n much less, you know, gay people, much less transgender people, much less yeah. uh, people trying to avoid the HIV virus, a uh, very anti-sex attitude. Yeah. So then if you have that attitude, <clears throat> there is this whole world of people that are not, you're not going to even interact with. I mean, you, you mentioned LGBT mm -hmm. people. Uh, do you mind kind of telling me like mm -hmm. what of services you provide for them? Planned Parenthood has historically been sort of a straight, you know, cisgendered organization and has had its hands full with that. <laughs> right. um, but that's leaving out a good part of the population. And so we've been... Um, of late working hard to ensure that um, our, our curricula, how we talk about sex, um, you know, opening our doors more to people who are trans, um, then they're transitioning. And we have a program that we rolled out a few months ago where um, we provide now um, you know, gender affirming hormones for the trans community and there's just a dearth of that kind of service available out here in the St. Gabriel Valley. Um, when people come into our health centers, are, are they going to be seen and feel welcome no matter if they're gay, heterosexual, cisgendered, you know, gender non-binary, transgender, are they going to feel safe and comfortable coming into our health centers? So. I think we already have an advantage at Planned Parenthood in that we have a lot of trust in the community because people are coming in and telling us, you know, about their their sexual lives. Um, 
maybe they never got taught it in school and their parents are almost certainly not talking to them about it. So it's this, um, it's this topic that you know, has so much secrecy and, um, and it's our job to ensure that when they come in that they have education and they feel safe and whatever kind of sex they're having that they feel seen and that that's okay. When I think about, you ask like our role in the community, um, that's how I see us. I see us as an open door to come in and, and be seen for one's health needs. Um, you know, we're, we're doing measles vaccinations right now. Wow. It's, there's a, you know, obviously a big problem that we're having in the community. So we want to be part of that public health solution. We're that open door. Um, most of our Patients where they're only healthcare provider, they maybe they go to urgent care or the emergency room for you know, other kinds of care, but but we're we're their doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that we are doing the kinds of things we do, which are a variety of screenings. Um, you know, we do diabetes checks, we do BMI, we do a lot of things that knowing that people who are coming in to see us that you know, we're an important stop in their, in their health care, and then we can refer them places where they can, they can get their blood pressure checked if it's high when we take a reading and get on, they need to get on blood pressure medication. Um, they need to get on some kind of diabetes medication. You know, we're, we're here doing those kinds of screenings and checks. And soon we'll be um, adding screenings for behavioral health right. to to see if someone has depression or anxiety or substance abuse. Um, again, this like open door mm-hmm. in the community for the needs that we see in our communities. And we, we know that because we have connections um, in a variety of groups that we have. We have people who attend hospital you know, benefits committees so that we know what's, you know, that mental health right now is a big deal. So people come to you with a need uh-huh. and you try to find a way yeah. to meet that need. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think I quite understand the organizational nature of it because you guys serve the Pasadena, San Gabriel Valley right. area here in the Los Angeles area. Right. How do you guys fit in and do you share knowledge like this yeah. across Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, We are part of a membership of Planned Parenthoods. There's more than 50 across the country. Um, And we sort of have the country carved out to say, if there are needs in this community, then we're going to fit and fill those needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We in and we share a lot of information. In California, we've been more fortunate because this is a, a very astute state <laughs> and understands that, you know, for every dollar that you put into family planning, you save, you know, five times that mm-hmm. in, in your state. Um, and uh, we are seen here as part of the fabric of the healthcare community. And certainly our open door approach and the fact that we have 100 health centers up and down the state 
you know, there are not many providers that have that kind of, or people have that kind of access. Um, so this governor has been, uh, Governor Newsom has been very supportive of um, what he sees are problems in this country with early education and, you know, ensuring that that babies, you know, have the best care and have the best early start in their lives. And we're part of that in helping women plan, um, ensuring that pregnant women don't get syphilis and pass that on to their fetus, their baby, which has horrible, horrible outcomes for, for, um, for babies. So uh, we're, you know, we're, we're part of that solution, helping, helping women who are, um, want to become pregnant and giving them that sort of bridge from a, a pregnancy test and before that talking with them about what is your life plan for reproductive health care are you planning to get pregnant in the mm -hmm. next year or six months or two years um, let's help you start to think through how you can have you know the best preparation for a pregnancy and then let's make sure you have you know if you are low income that you have medical to you know, have that for your pregnancy so it's as healthy as it can possibly be. And I think it's, it's important when we think about distance that people have to travel and if you don't have a Planned Parenthood near you, how challenging that is to get there. Um, but we also think about being here in LA County. We, our affiliate is here. We tend to be more of the eastern part of the county, but we share it with another Planned Parenthood and a lot of the problems in LA County are kind of intractable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a very high rate of poverty, income inequality, homelessness. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of people. We see mm -hmm. more than 60,000 patient visits a year in our four health centers. Um, that's a lot of people coming through. And we are expanding to add two more, and we're going to be moving one of our health centers so that we have more room so we can see more people. Um, so we're excited about a way that we can expand our mission um, as well as uh, just, just know that we can be there for people. What does the future look like? Even in an idealized way, I guess uh, <laughs> we could even we could dream big if we wanted to. But well, I mean, you know, dreaming big means there's no stigma that for your, you know, your anything to do with your sexuality, abortion. There's no stigma. You're, you know, who you love, um, who you see, or what your identity is. That there's that there's no stigma. Right now there's so much stigma, as you talked about earlier, coming out of your, your church that, you know, that you didn't talk about sex and what happens if you're not talking about something that is, you know, ultimately, it's biology, that's how we all got here, right? Um, if you're not talking about it, then I think if you're not talking about it, it's easier for people to, to get have an unwanted pregnancy. What we know is that um, studies show that when young people get education, they delay. They have more cards in their hand to be able to make those really important decisions. So um, I, I can 
I can be an eternal optimist and think that um, that especially with this population coming up behind us that that they will ensure that legislation is passed in their states so that um, access to family planning and your sexual health uh, is protected because it's a human, it's a fundamental human right. Um, and so I, I have high hopes for this, for that generation and um, I want to be around to see them when they're doing their great work and seeing healthcare and a person's sexuality as another human right. Just like access to education is a human right. So that's, that's my hope for the future. I, I think we may have some rough times ahead of us, but, um, but I think we'll get, I believe we'll get there. If you'd like to learn more about Planned Parenthood, and the services they provide, visit PlannedParenthood.org. For other episodes of Straight White Guy Listening, please visit StraightWhiteGuyListening.com or follow us at SWG Listening on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember to subscribe, like, and review while you're there. Straight White Guy Listening is created and produced by Graham Hyde and Rebecca Brighthot. Special thanks to Sherry Bonner, Christian Port, and Don Moore with Planned Parenthood in Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley. All music in this episode was written by Daniel Birch from the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. <laughs>